0: Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today we are sitting with one of our friends, Greg Dixon, who we had on the podcast I think a few years ago um, since we've had. Greg, on the podcast, his life has changed drastically. He is no longer single, ladies. I'm sorry. Um, he is a married man. He has a baby and a stepson and a big, beautiful, full life. And um, I, had, I called Greg um, actually two days ago or three days ago, and asked him if he would come over to my house, and so I could ask him a bunch of questions about what was going on in Afghanistan, because totally transparent, I get a lot of my news from social media, which, yep, there it is. Because honestly, I don't know which news to trust and which news to watch, and I'm sure social media is not the way to go, but I just choose certain people that um, I feel think the same way I do, and I follow them. And it was even just getting confusing looking at that. And so the reason I'd asked Greg to come on today and to come over the other night was because Greg has spent some serious time in Afghanistan and um, has served in the Marines. And I respect his opinion um, a lot on this stuff. So Greg, just give us like a quick background for people who didn't listen to your first podcast about your time spent cool. overseas.
1: Okay. Yeah, we got to clarify my relationship with Afghanistan too. I I was in the Marine Corps, but only did two deployments in Iraq, okay. and that was um, 2004 and 2005. But um, then in Afghanistan, I was uh, I worked for um, a U.S. company as a contractor for our federal government on a program for uh, just about four years, and then on another program after that. Um, so, each time I was over there, I was over there more as a um, as a contractor, not necessarily as a service member, and there are a distinction between the two professions. Uh, one is uh, financial gain, and the other is service to your country and duty, and both of those exist inside each profession, but... Um, we, I had a different perspective of seeing Afghanistan than, say, um, a Marine in Helmand Province or somebody up in Korengal. And um, everybody has a different perspective because there's so many actors that are involved in Afghanistan, NGOs, diplomats, an enemy force, uh, f- other countries. Um, so can you, like, break that down for someone like me? Like, yeah. And, like, what NGO... Non-government organization, so it's going to be some of your Feed the Children, Doctors Without Borders, some USAID folks from the State Department, like I said, diplomats. They'll have another number of organizations that are there under the U.S. mission, under the NATO mission. in um, Afghanistan um, was a NATO fight, um, even though it might have not, you know, because they believe an attack against one is attack against all, and that's all members of NATO. And so that's why our coalition was so big in Afghanistan, um, but yeah. So we just said I just wanted to kind of clarify yeah. exactly where my relationship was. And then uh, when I, I uh, years after I left um, contracting, I went to graduate school, the Citadel, and earned my master's in international politics. And Afghanistan was a major focus of my major concentration for my studies there. Um, I just kind of wanted to learn a lot more about, you know, how that. Uh, how that, how that landscape worked. Um, and so as an academic, from an academic perspective, um, I felt like, you know, I really got to see an inside picture broken down from some of the most, some of the best Afghanistan scholars like Seth Jones, um, who wrote the graveyard of empires. I highly recommend that read. It's an excellent book. If you're looking to try to understand Afghanistan, um, uh, Najibullah Kurosai, he's a—I probably said that last name right, but Najibullah is a correspondent that worked in Afghanistan for years who I follow and just listen to what he has to say. Um, Laura Logan, she is CBS. Her journalistic career is just at the top of every conflict. Sebastian Younger, some of these people. So there's a lot of people out there that are more—that that have a really— um, in-depth academic and practitioner experience so that's kind of where I come from not necessarily on their level by any means but working there um, as a paid U.S. contractor uh, really gave me kind of you know a unique perspective especially since I worked around um, the provinces and then also in Kabul for uh, almost over a year some change um, so I got a kind of really intimate knowledge of that area. So okay so let's go back like to the basics so you were deployed and you
0: were in Iraq right yeah. so you said okay this is sounds really stupid uh, <laughs> so what like in relation Iraq Afghanistan close to each other
1: oh uh, no they're separated by Iran pretty much okay so Iraq is known as a Middle Eastern country Afghanistan is more south a- southwest Asia Central Asia um Completely different, so more Persian, more um, tribal-based. Iraq's very tribal-based, too, but so is Afghanistan. Uh, the terrain is much different, too. You're all talking about mountains and snow. And okay. That's why Afghanistan is known as the graveyard of empires, because nobody has been able to conquer it um, since its existence, um, from Genghis Khan to Alexander the Great to the British three times in the 19th century. They've all failed to gain foothold permanently in Afghanistan. So that's what makes it so unique. And I think what's going on in the news now is you're starting to see, um, you know, another example of that.
0: So like from your perspective, so you were over there contracted from the government to do what? Can you talk about that? Security. Okay. Security, guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, okay. I have like a million questions. I'm just trying to get my thoughts together. but. Can you tell like us a little bit like about the culture from someone when you went, when you were there, it was before you did all your studies. Yeah. So yeah. like the culture, like as an American citizen, what you know from here is what you know, there. Yeah. like women, children, relational, what it's like, sure. like a day to day.
1: That's, that's one of the biggest things when you're, especially coming in um, as a contractor and flying through Dubai and uh, you know, I, I've, before there's been um, felt like guys with chickens as luggage on the plane going into Afghanistan, Afghans, that they live a completely different life than you or I would expect. It's a place where um, if you think you've seen it all, you haven't until you go to somewhere like that. Um, like, what do you mean? Just, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, just their way of life. So it's nothing to be going from the airport to your house in Kabul and seeing somebody bagging on the street who is on a skateboard uh, with no legs and is coming up to the... It's just uh, there's people, bat, women with their children in the middle of intersections with full burqa's on, asking for money. Um, you see the remnants of history, Antenna Hill, the pool where the Taliban executed... I can tell you. I don't know how many people um, in there when they initially took over in 1996, they took all these people up to the Olympic pool and pushed them off. And so it's just it just looks like uh, somewhere that you you just go back in time. There's underground bars that you can go to at night where you check your firearm into a cubby oh uh, where you'll see Western journalists and people like that and people from other embassies. Um, those bars have been regularly attacked so like there's a there's a there is a, a, a social life there for people who are you know diplomats or NGOs and then there's the contractor kind of uh you know you, your soldier type life which are completely kind of all separate and different and some allow you to do things that you normally couldn't do if you were in the military but um it's just it's just a bizarre place in the provinces when you go out and you see uh, you're, you're out there and it's, it's nothing but farmers. You see little girls with buckets of water on their head. Um, I mean, just doing their chores. And it's just their rural, remote way of life that they've known and they've farmed since the beginning of time. The way they get pumped gas is different than you or I would ever think of it. It sits in these um, on the top of these big barrels and runs through hoses and um, just the simple tasks are something of large magnitude to, to you or I but not to them it's just the average it's just every day of life so yeah I mean culturally you know the way women are treated and respected and how you speak to them are a lot different um, you have to be super considerate of that but um yeah I mean it's <laughs> did I answer your question, I'm
0: yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, and again, you guys, like I said at the beginning, this is I'm, i asked Greg to come on here. he was like, nobody wants to listen to me talk. I was like, everybody wants to listen to you talk first of all, what is your opinion, like what you talked to me about the other oh, night, yeah. like what's your opinion on well first of all, can you explain what's going on?
1: sure, so um with the u s withdrawal, which is not necessarily I know look, like if you're gonna like we gotta get People want to talk politics about it with Joe Biden and that administration and Donald Trump before and Obama, then President Bush and Clinton. It's been, uh, Afghanistan has been on the radar of the White House since 1996, right? That's when Al Qaeda and uh, the Taliban, has relationship really started to form and grow. And Clinton had a chance to smoke Bin Laden in 96, but didn't. And that was like a big, and looking back on that, had he done that, you would have prevented the two embassy bombings, the coal and nine eleven. if Clinton would have killed him then, but he didn't. And there's reasons for that. So... Do you know
0: the reasons? No.
1: I I'm like, know. I think you I, know everything.
0: I I'm like giving him side eye. I'm like, <laughs> do you know the reasons?
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> and so then you move forward and George Bush takes office and it's 9-11 and what, his response... Was exactly what we wanted as a country at that point in time. It was to fucking go and get these guys that are responsible for this, and that dude was in northern Afghanistan and he was had safe haven from the Taliban. So when the U.S. launched its offense, um, they cornered Bin Laden and uh, through J.S.O.C. units and intelligence community up in the Tora Bora mountains and had him there, and then. I believe they had some sort of arrangement with Pakistan, which is another player that we talked about, like just so many players. And the Pakistanis were supposed to either set up some sort of blockade, I don't know, but it got botched. And I wasn't there, but um, there's a good book on it called Killing Bin Laden, I think, by Dalton Fury. But it was, uh, you know, they had an opportunity. And then Iraq kicks off and and Afghanistan kind of gets put on the back burner until roughly like 2010, 2011. Once Iraq starts dying down, President Obama takes office, uh, you know, and he's left with this whole situation to deal with. This and is then, in
0: Afghanistan. Yeah, Let's this is in
1: Afghanistan. So, you know, it was um, the fighting there really heightened, I guess, right around 2009, that in Helmand Province, Korengal, R- R- RCEs, Kandahar. I mean, there is... These are cities. These are cities okay. in Afghanistan that were just had controlled by the US government like by the US military rather so that's what's kind of funny when you start seeing some of the narrative about was it worth it or any of that the US Marine Corps and the Army and they're the major two ground forces they controlled so many territories and beat back the Taliban over a court and gave people a little taste of that freedom whether it was just... Um, Okay, so let's just pause, because this was actually, I put okay. this question out there, The okay. was it worth
0: it? Like, you mean, right. was it worth the the people that went and fought over there? Was it worth their time? Like, is that what you're referring yeah. to? I,
1: yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Okay. And was it worth the mangled bodies and the, you know, the Gold Star families and all the, you know, everybody that has sacrificed or lost something from this conflict? Um, you know, that's for each person to answer themselves, for one, but... Overall, kind of seeing how there was security and stability in the region, in certain regions, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. And, and, you know, I think at that – you know, these guys fight, though, for – like I said, I wasn't there in an offensive combat role. Um, But these guys fight for their brothers and sisters to their left and right and, you know, for the Afghan people. For, you know, as much as they say they weren't, they were. Yeah. And so um, you have to get some gratification when you see, you know, a girls going to schools or schools opening. And that's just the whole unit in itself working. That's the civil affairs folks coming in to – and the people and taxpayers donating money or whatever – donating <laughs> – getting your money taken, rather. Right. Um, you know, that's just how the whole picture comes in. And so that feels good. What doesn't feel good is watching – places that your brothers and sisters have died in being overrun by the enemy that you were fighting. So people were going, thank you. So people,
0: ultimately, just to break it down, when the military was there, they were fighting against the Taliban, but in hopes to help the civilians. Is when
1: that the right? the military was there, they were fighting against the Taliban. Um, <laughs> that's a million dollar question too, why were we fighting the Taliban? Well, the Taliban provided safe safe haven for Al-Qaeda. That got us in the initial fight with them. The Taliban... What's the difference
0: between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban? Because you told me yeah. the other night, because I was like, we were talking about 9-11, and I was like, wasn't that the Taliban? And you said no. No. Okay.
1: Al-Qaeda... So, okay, we'll start with Al-Qaeda. His ultimate leader is Osama bin Laden, who's dead, thank God. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was one of his KSM masterminds of 9-11. Um, I'm an al Zahiri. Then you have the, uh, I don't even remember the dirtbag's name, that was in Al-Anbar province. But it's, it's an Arab rather Arab strong Arab group uh, Africans now they got presence throughout northern Africa to the Somali to the Sahel, to the Maghreb they got presence in Yemen they got presence all over Asia and certain parts of the Philippines um, then you have the Taliban which is just cont- contained pretty much in Afghanistan it's a okay. it was it was an organization that was started because of the Cold War when we fought when the Afghans uh, fought the Soviets Um the U.S. had a campaign to fund the Mujahideen and uh, and and fight the Soviets and would expel the Soviets from Russia, or sorry, from um, uh, Afghanistan, and that created this whole um, whole whole vacuum, this whole window for. Uh, different islamics fundamentalists to move in and start uh, because what it was was a jihad right because there was a foreign invader Which is in a, afghanistan a, war, a
0: religious war correct yeah right That's it's the it's, one thing i remember from religion class
1: yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a pillar of islam it's and so when they when they established the jihad to fight the soviets that attracted not only afghans um, but uh, Arabs and other, other fighters as well to that region f- to perform jihad. And so the Afghans, they're mainly contained of uh, the Pashtuns, or there's four groups. There's the uh, Uzbeks, Tajiks, Pashtuns, and Hazar- ha- Hazaris. And so out of those four groups are the main dominating ethnic groups. Then you have the Sunnis and the Shiites and the Shiites are more of the Shias are more of the Hazarazis and they're located like central Central Afghanistan. They get funded and they kind of get looked after by Iran, another player in the game that is (sighs) really, really a problem. So money comes in into Pakistan from the U.S. government. They send that money through the Mujahideen, through these warlords at the time, which one of them was Ahmed Shah Massoud, who was the Northern Alliance guy. Then you had Gulbuddin Hekmatar. You had Rabani, You had the Haqqani people down in like Patika province. So there's all these different organizations that were getting money from Pakistan that we gave Pakistan to give to the Mujahideen to give these fighters to fund and fight the Soviet Union. So what's that? Wait, wait, let me pause. Yeah.
0: So, Sorry. (laughs) No, you're doing great. No, sorry. This is great. I'm just trying to digest. So you say we gave money. So we funded this basically. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. We fund everything. You heard it here first. Yeah, no. hey, (laughs) Hey, we fund the uh pakistanis whole national defense which the isi is their version of our cia they're involved so the isi is super connected to the taliban i mean they have they recruit for them and different things like that because they worry about india to the south so they got to worry about kind of fighting india and different things in kashmir it's just part of their way of life and so the fact that you have All these organizations like the ISI who favor tribal Pashtuns, which are more on the Afghanistan eastern border to Pakistan. And they're up in like what they call um, it's on the Duran line is what they wanted to create this whole country called Pashtunistan. Right. Never went through. But it was like very tribal in the sense that maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea if you did have something like that because they would just stay within each other's borders. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not advantageous to to Pakistan. Um, so you have these people in the FATA in the Federal Administrable tar- Tribal Areas, the Northwest Frontier, um, all these crazy Afghan, uh, or excuse me, Pakistan uh, province border countries, and they are all Pashtuns. So the majority of the people, the majority of the Mujahideen that was getting the money from the ISI were Pashtuns. So they favored them more, which predominantly the Taliban is Pashtun. So... Therefore, after the Soviet, these guys had their networks, they had their stuff... A lot of the Afghan refugees were in refugee camps that were run by the Saudis in Pakistan, which created the madrasas, which were the schools that they got educated in, which was underneath the Wahhaban Safiism of Islam, which turned into diabandi Deobandi Diabandi is what the Taliban kind of aligned their version of Islam thinking to is Diabandi, which Diabandi's is from India, but it's just this um, really radical way of, perceiving their religion got it. so then they put S- Saudi Arabia influence into it and some other things. but either way, this educated a whole culture of Afghans and then therefore the Afghan the Taliban came into came into um, being because the central government in Kabul could not govern the people of Afghanistan. they couldn't protect them from bandits and the Taliban come in, like, you know, hey, um, you know, they had justice, they had court, they had security, they provided people stability, believe it or not. What happened was down in Kandahar, Mullah, Mullah Omar, I can't remember his name, Mullah Omar, I believe is what they call him, but like... There was this guy who got kidnapped. His daughters got kidnapped. And the Taliban went and found the guy that kidnapped the daughter and brought him back and had justice in the street. And they were like, our fucking own government can't do this for us. Yeah. So they kind of got their presence that way. Got it. And then they rolled pretty much the went all throughout southern Afghanistan to the RCE, up in Patika, up in the mountains, this spread and then they eventually took over Kabul in 1996. Okay. So, and then they so this isn't the first time the Taliban have taken over Kabul. Okay. Right? And what's unique about this time is that they're they're woke, right? Like they're coming on and saying, "Oh, yeah, we're not going to let women go to school, and we're not going to freaking murder people in the streets, no public executions." And they, like, even sent a letter to the Ministry of Education, who's a female, this Afghan, and told her, like, hey, you're not going to lose your job. And Do you these- believe
0: that you think that's true? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes or no. So I don't think it's true. I think that that's—the Taliban, I mean, you talk about some of the guys that really got into it with them, and um, they— you know they're adaptable they kind of they don't play by the rules they don't play fair all the time they use civilians they'll use tactics that the west won't really you know you're not expecting that kind of that sort of cruelty or violence, but that's they'll show up. Then you show up at the office, and they, you know, they will blow you up. Jesus. That's what I'm waiting to see right now. Is with all these crowds at the airport, one somebody's going to clack a vest off soon. I feel it.
0: Like at the at airport in
1: Afghanistan. Yeah, like what? Like you know, that's what that's, what, that's their that's their M O. So, suicide bombers, suicide bombings.
0: All right. So what I'm hearing you say is basically the Taliban is taking over, and they kind of rebranded themselves coming in is like, better, quote-unquote better, and you don't believe it, you don't buy it. No. And what is that, like, us leaving? Like, I've heard so many different things before we even get close to starting with these questions, but, like, that us leaving makes us look weak, it's Joe Biden's fault, you know, he's let everybody down. What, how do you wrap your head around that? All
1: right. I'm going to paraphrase, because I heard this last night, and Laura Logan is amazing. And I'm going to paraphrase what she said, because I believe exactly... My feelings align exactly. The U.S., this is what this is what we want. We want this to happen because we have the power, our military, our government, they have the power to stop any of this that's happening right now. They have the power to stop the supply lines between the Taliban and whoever else they're supporting up in the mountains or wherever these are coming from, but they're not doing it. And you have to ask yourself why, and that's what logan was talking about and i i think it has something they what better outcome for the u.s than have iran and the taliban have a civil war in afghanistan there's two and russia come and play sure what do we care for we just spent 20 years there uh you guys have at it now and that's kind of what you saw you're going to see proxy wars so there is an uh the harazis uh there's a group called the um Fatimun, Fatimun, Fatiman, something like that. And they're an Iranian-backed militia of Afghan Shias that fought in Syria against ISIS. From They traveled from Afghanistan to Syria to fight and then went back. And when the prime minister of Iran was asked about this, you know, he said... Uh, <laughs> No, they are back to everyday work life. There's no problem. It's like these guys don't go. You don't go from fighting ISIS in Syria right. just to sitting back on your, unless you're a U.S. service member, then you can. Right. <laughs> but these dudes, this is their way of life. It's what they do. Yeah. So which what I, we, what I think is happening is I think the Taliban are kind of forming up. But they are going to be armed. You're going to have resistance coming from Panjir, where Masood's people were, the Northern Alliance. They're kind of reforming. You'll have the Fe- Feti Moon coming over that'll try to do something. You got ISIS over there somewhere in the Kurasan that's, like, super small. And, like, they don't fit in well with—because the, the the Afghans are very tribal. The, the, the code Peshtunwali is this whole, like— way of living as far as you're my neighbor, you come in here, I protect you. It's the whole, um, kind of the backbone of what Marcus Luttrell experienced and Lone Survivor, what kept him alive. And so um, you have (laughs) this code, whatever, that exists, and ISIS doesn't follow codes at all. They're just, they're straight, savage animals. But
0: ISIS is different than the Taliban.
1: They're different than the Taliban, and they're different than Al-Qaeda. Okay. So Do they all have
0: different motives?
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of, if you put it really together, Al-Qaeda kind of, if you want to look at it like that, they had more of a, a, a Islamic State kind of idea, but just kind of being more patient with how it was developed. And then uh, Baghdadi or whatever that guy's name is from ISIS, he came in and they just pretty much took over um, early on in 2014. But yeah, this whole okay. So stuff.
0: all right. So as just Greg sitting here, clearly you have a lot of knowledge. You probably should be on the news. <laughs> um, like, kind of what we were saying. Just you know, like I've heard just from other people, like it makes America look oh, weak. Yeah. And what you're and what you're explaining is that there's a plan here that or, or, I
1: mean, from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, it does, it makes us look, uh, I, you know, you watch in the news and you try to think, uh, objectively and two thirds of the American population doesn't think Afghanistan, you know, anything was accomplished there or whatever. And so, um, yeah, that's how I think it, they make you, they, the media makes it want to look. Um, I'm not saying that we don't look weak with how they pulled out and um, leaving people that I don't know. The, I don't know the right way to demo something like that. You know what I mean? Right. That's a general strategic national security should have had things in place. And I also don't believe that Biden didn't know something like this was happening because I've been following it for like the last seven months. The Caliban closing in on so it. So you
0: like what? what are they like? Biden gets up and he says, this is why I did this, whether it's true or not. Like what was, what is he doing? Well, he was people?
1: elected under, he, you know, Trump pushed it too, but they both had a, a pullout, um, um, out plan in mind of how it was going to happen and May 1st and then into August and all these different things started, you know, being put out there and none of that should ever be talked about. That should be something that only people in a military level should ever see in, Politicians should never even talk about that, but they do. And um, I think, as you know, Biden was elected under the f- tense that he would end the Afghanistan war, but all so was, that's what so Trump was wires, under elected too.
0: Why are I said to you the other night, I'm like, I just feel like it, this is like such a hum- humanitarian thing, and and but it also, also clearly it's a political thing. It's huge, yeah. So, how does I guess like for me, and I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say this the wrong way, but like, I see things as like Sarah, the mom, you know, sure. and I think about like my children and I think about other like people, women I could relate to. I see these other women and they're, you know, they're like have these children and they're trying to protect them and they can't go into a home and they don't can't like the other night we had this crazy storm and I was like our whole house shook and I heard both my four year olds just start screaming, running like down the stairs to my bedroom, jumping in the bed. And like, yeah. I was like, I can hold these children and protect them. Yeah. And, like, that, for me, it just seems, that's just so tragic. Like, yeah. but do these people, and, the, you know, and I'm not trying to say, like, these people, like, they're not, we're all yeah, human, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. are they so accustomed to this that it's just, like?
1: That's a that's a great question. I mean, on a philosophical level, if you didn't know any better than what you were experiencing now, would you ever know the difference? Right. And so uh, the thing about the Afghans is that they're survivors. Um, they survive, and they some of them can't count. The illiteracy rates are super high, um, but they are ingenuitive. They're survivors. The women are extremely strong. I mean, the girls that had stood up against the Taliban one got shot in the face in Pakistan for standing on a school bus against these people. They're already protesting. I don't think that will has only gotten stronger over the last 20 years because we gave them, I think, opportunity.
0: So, okay, so do you think, you know, one of the questions we had is, do you think it's going to be bad for the people that were left behind that were supporters of the U.S.?
1: Like, do if the, people if know the that? Make, if the Taliban gain control of it, yeah, there's, you know, there's paperwork that um, some of these uh, local nationals would get, these LNs, And depending on how they, what they do with that paperwork, uh, yeah, if, I mean, if anybody that supports the coalition typically will, uh, you know, be executed. But I don't know if they're doing that. You know, I have no idea. They say they won't.
0: (laughs) Right. In their their new branding statement. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, I'm just going to roll through a few of
0: these questions, too. Um, Somebody asked, is it a given that a Taliban state will threaten the U.S. with terror. It says Y.S., but would that probably mean U.S.? Yes,
1: probably U.S. with terrorism Us. or not? I don't think so. The Taliban have always main- maintained within the borders of Afghanistan and Pakistan. They haven't gotten really pans tr- transatlantic trans terrorists, pans terrorists, or whatever they call it. Um, but you know, our biggest thing with them is: will they safe harbor other organizations that can? Well, they provide safe haven for Al-Qaeda again, stuff like that.
0: And then that's who.
1: And then they'll, you know. Yeah. They so finish. they do work together. Oh, yeah. They don't they fight. Did do they fight against each other? Nah. You know, they might have some interfraction faction beasts, but, like, for the most part, especially after, before 9-11, um, you know, in Kandahar, Mullah Omar gave Osama bin Laden free passage to and protection. Okay. So. Um,
0: someone asked how did this turn into such a shit show? How are we going to get um, the Americans that are there home safely? Are there a lot of Americans that are still there?
1: I've seen different estimates. Uh, this, the, You know, there's different agencies within the government that are responsible for stuff like that, especially U.S. citizens and foreign environments like diplomatic security. Um, there's military components that will also go and see and make sure they get people out. I find it hard. You know, from what all I've all I've heard, you know, people sending emails to get to the embassy, and you have to do it at your own risk, and maybe that's true. And there's a lot of Americans that are in Afghanistan or have been in Afgh- that can navigate pretty well around there. Um, so you know, a lot of UK, British too, a lot of foreign nationals that can get around the city. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if you know, it's your job to get to the airport if you want to leave.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, but it's like scary. Right? I, yeah, it could be. Does uh, anything scare you, Greg? Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, no. now that you have a daughter, I bet that's scary. <laughs> that's scary as hell. Yeah, that's um, probably scary. Yeah, it, it,
1: I, look, I couldn't imagine being in Kabul right now. I mean, I think it's probably just absolutely nuts. But it was nuts when I was there too, just not on that level. Um, you know, I tell the story. I, I had a flight home, and the team that was taking me to the airport. Stopped like a mile or so away, two miles from the airport and said, hey, we can't get any closer. There was a suicide attack there yesterday or something. And I said, oh, shit, you know. And they said, well, you can get a ticket tomorrow and we'll take you back or you can walk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to walk. And Jeez. Like, Mate, you don't have a gun. You're wearing, you're dressed like a frat boy. You got, you know, flip flops <laughs> and, and, and khaki shorts on. And I was like, it's fine, man. It's cool. Don't sweat it. And so I, I didn't have a problem, but... You know, I couldn't imagine doing that right now. You know, I would uh, you would have to be in some sort of like I
0: wouldn't do that in Charleston. (laughs) I'd be like, let's get a ticket for tomorrow. I'm good. Take me home. Thanks. Um, All right. Another question. Um, Is the media blowing this up? Are we missing thing? Huge parts of this exit story.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's what we were talking about before. I, I think it's I think it's. Good for Cuomo this is on right now just um, But because that story went to the back burner right And that's just an example of how the propaganda The media and all that stuff works But like uh, are, Is there something much larger I believe there probably could be are we Should we know about it I don't necessarily think so I believe that there's certain We shouldn't be as transparent as everybody wants us to be So um, I think especially in certain government officials Or government levels they might if they know something better then hey man I will trust it but
0: yeah so to speak to that point because I appreciate that like we're you know we're all like give me information, give me information and then we get all this fucking information and we convoluted and we you know it makes us all crazy. I'm not saying that we don't need to be informed, but are there in your personal greg opinion certain um people are asking about news stations or certain whether it's people or a, a broadcast station that you trust more than others I I
1: listen to the BBC every morning Uh, they have a global podcast that's really good and they always update you on different things uh, really interesting fun things that you don't even know about and all kinds of different stories so I love the BBC that's where I get most of my news from okay that I trust (laughs) that you trust yeah
0: and now a word from our sponsor looking to buy or sell in the Charleston area we got you you gotta check out my girl Audra Walters from Front Porch Properties Audra works with both buyers and sellers, but what sets her apart from other agents is she will stage your listing for free, zero dollars. There is no charge to the sellers. This helps tremendously, especially if you are selling a rental or a second home that has no furniture or hasn't been loved in years. It also helps if you live in the house and have a large brown, ugly leather couch. She can fix it. Staging homes to sell for more money and more quickly. So why not sell with Audra? There's more. She offers free 3D virtual tours and drone videos with all her listings. It is key to get your home on social media, and Audra rocks that out. You can find Audra on Instagram at Audra underscore Walters underscore CHS or front porch sc.com You can also always find her in my classes turning on the freaking fans, Audra. <laughs> so check her out today. She's an awesome woman, and she is super motivated. Thoughts on poppy, the illegal drug trade that fuels Afghanistan's economy. Do you think that America is greatly benefiting from that? In your opinion. I don't know
1: what the overdose rates, if we've benefited from that. Um, Well, okay. You know what I mean? I think there have been people that benefit from that. Uh, You know, Afghanistan, at one point, 97% of the poppy that came out of Afghanistan came out of southern Afghanistan, and then 70% or more of the poppy that came from the world came from Afghanistan. Um, it it's hard to say because that crop is what keeps people alive there that are farming it and then that crop also is what's killing people throughout the United States mm-hmm. so it's like you know with the prescriptions and different things like that but Afghanistan makes its money off that trade you know that's how a lot of the that's how the Taliban fund themselves
0: yeah um, okay, if you kind of already answered this, but I'm just gonna throw it out there again. Do you do we have any real trust belief in the Taliban leading fairly?
1: I'd say history repeats itself. Mm,
0: amen. When yeah. somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. <laughs> um somebody asked if you could shed a little light, maybe just from your experience there, to what is, you know, happening to women, um, children. Is there anything you can s- recommend anyone doing to help? Or is there um, a cause that you believe in more to donate to, that the money will actually go somewhere?
1: I always look into like USAID and find out what they're doing, or uh, the United Nations, UNICEF's there, Um, UNHCR uh, is there. So there's a lot of humanitarian organizations that are there. I get a little weird when I see these $4 million GoFundMes. I'm like, oh God, that's just... Trips me out a little bit because uh, I know how corruption works in places like Afghanistan. And so you I don't, mean, like that money won't get to those people, probably. You just wonder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think prayer is big too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll ask this, but I don't know how this, how you'll answer it. But how much progress for women's rights? do you believe was made as a direct result of the U.S. presence? And I feel like mm. you kind of touched on that when I said, you know, do you think it was all for nothing? But you said no. People got a glimpse of what the other side could be like.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think in a lot of ways... Like, Kabul's very metropolitan. It's very Western in general. A lot of women work there. Um, I'm not sure if they drive. That's a, um, I don't know if they drive there or not. But they work. They have... Uh, You know, like a quarter of the education department is run by women in Afghanistan. The hospitals without women in Afghanistan and Kabul, like those places don't run. And then in the provinces, how they are as far as at their and their villages, Mm -hmm. you know, they're amazing. Um, So I do believe that when you think about their rights, I think they that we were able to empower them enough to where maybe they can really create some strong momentum to. Yeah. For the whole country.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's so easy for people just to be like, "Fuck Biden, he fucked this whole thing up." And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he did or he didn't because I really don't know. And even like listening to it, I just feel like there's so much to process. What I feel like you're explaining is like the underbelly of it, right? Like we only see like this, this, and this, and especially yeah. in the country that we're living in right now, and like the state of affairs, you know, everything from COVID to masks to this to that, everything's political and it's so heightened. Yeah, and in your and I think I've already asked you this like six times so you can just answer it again (laughs) in your like in your opinion do you think this was the right move to pull out yeah
1: um yeah I do uh I think it was time for us to leave I you know I don't like seeing Americans getting you know killed there in places when uh you know our borders are what they are and there's you know Violence throughout the nation. So, um, I'm glad to see the I'm glad to see everybody come home. And I think you know we served there honorably. Um, there was a lot of lessons learned and stuff we should take into the future. And the biggest thing, you know, it's when this happened in Vietnam, and you know, and this is the only political. Like Joe Biden was in Congress then. He was in D.C. doing whatever. And now it's just as frustrating that we see the same sort of uh, turmoil, we see the same sort of um, chaos that exists. I just, I feel like if we we got to learn our lessons from history moving forward, we have to, you know, learn what to do and what not to do. Um, but as far as everybody saying, you know, look, of course, if you didn't vote for Joe Biden, you're not gonna, you're gonna be all over this media, right? And if you voted for Biden and you're looking at what's happening in Afghanistan, look, that's a hard job. I mean, the criticism that they take is just that the president, whoever it is, takes is just on a whole nother level. Like, why? Let's just. Why would anybody want to be the president? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the I think some of the some people that should be the president don't want that role because of, you know, what it entails. It's. So, um, yeah, that's a great question. So, so I, is it his fault? I don't know, man. He's got advisors. There's people. It's a big, it's a lot of, it's a big team, and everybody's got their part. Yep. And, you know, I think it's just unfortunate that it's happened the way it is as far as, you know, people, that just goes to show, if people are running to jump onto a moving aircraft, to go where with it as it takes off, like, it just doesn't register to me as a good idea. But do you feel like when
0: I see that, like I'm like, that is desperation.
1: It's desperation. But I mean, did you yeah. were you
0: the one that told me this, or maybe I read it somewhere? Like that they had to do like an immediate emergency landing because somebody got yeah. sucked inside of the plane. There was
1: a uh, there was a body in the wheel well of the C17 <gasps> or C whatever the oh, C130. Devastating. Yeah, that they had to divert and land in Qatar. <laughs> so. Um, that's like a microcosm of Afghanistan, but, and do you, You yeah,
0: do you feel that like, I'm just like thinking of like the people like that are living there and just trying to live their lives and raise their families and do their things like those are, you think those people are
1: feeling really scared right now? I do. I think, especially the people that have experienced it. So you got to think, this has been a 20-year war. So if you were just an infant at the time of the invasion, 20 years later, you're an adult. Okay. So you've known, culturally, you've known just this, just this kind of conflict. Uh, for the people that are old enough to know what the Taliban, I th- everybody knows what the Taliban is capable of there. Everybody that lives there knows their ferocity and violence and how crazy they are. So... I think there's a lot of people scared. Yeah.
0: Um, are there, like, borders close by that people can cross right now to be safe? Probably or? not. Yeah. So everything's just, like... And the Taliban, uh, like, wants to take control because they believe strong... Because they want the money. You think it's it's always a money thing, right? Or... Um,
1: they want their ideology. They want Afghanistan. They want to be the full governing party of Afghanistan. So on an insurgency level, and if you just find an insurgency but as a group that's trying to achieve some sort of political objective, that's what the Taliban is. They're they're an insurgent group, and they've achieved a political... They're now flags raised over, you know, the presidential palace there. I mean, they technically rule the government, you know. But what's going to be interesting is to see if the international community or who in the international community recognized them. That's always been the defining point is that no other nations recognize the Taliban as official government. Got so. it.
0: So do you think with America pulling out that
1: like anybody else is going to go in there and help? Help? Uh, I think the, it's like uh, do, does the, they'll go in there and take advantage so like China's already doing it China has an initiative with the resource the, Afghanistan's a resource curse so they have the mining rights in certain places and protection and they built roads and things like that. Iran will go in there because they'll have some sort of a, an agenda everybody that goes, Russia is the same way everybody that goes to Afghanistan has an agenda you know just, it's just a place of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Kidding.
0: This was so uplifting.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> um, it's so good to have this type of information because, like I said, like I look at pictures and my heart breaks. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I don't know what you call that type of a person. I don't know.
1: A human? A human. A human, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but it just runs so deep and
1: yeah. Yeah. Like I said, there's some really good books out there. Graveyard of Empires is an excellent one. Um, anything Seth Jones writes is amazing. Um, I've had a chance to talk to him once. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> is that like a good moment for you? It was like an awesome. <laughs> yeah, my friend Heidi, her it's her cousin. Okay. She was able to hook it up, hook a little phone call up. Nice. So cool. Yeah. Uh, I like to nerd out about this stuff, so yeah, it's fun to talk about of places that people um do you ever listen to other people important. talk and think god people are fucking stupid
0: <laughs> no I you're mean, so there's... kind though greg Ugh. like really you are you're so great to talk to because i can ask you anything and you know you don't it's so hard to talk to people that are like just think you're stupid <laughs> period. Yeah, I know. period the end
1: i've been to school
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um how would you like if you know if your kids were to ask you about it how do you explain that?
1: Yeah, Cal, man, he's, uh, my stepson said something to me about, man, I hope I don't have to go to war. And I thought, you know what, buddy, we did this so you don't have to. And that's, if, if if the other event occurs, that means our political leaders have failed us again. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if war happens, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, so, um, do you, and you did already kind of answer this, but this one was asked like over and over again by people on the gram, um, Do you think America needs to be on high alert? Well, aren't we always kind of on high alert?
1: I don't think us as American citizens need to be on high alert. I think we should live our lives as we do and be happy and free and love everything and just be appreciative that there are people on high alert. And we need those people on high alert. But I, I don't think everybody needs to be on high alert. I like that. That
0: makes me feel better. (laughs) Um, Well, Greg, thank you as always. This was very informative. I I have a lot of social studies to catch up on. Um, As always, you guys, we really appreciate your feedback. So if this was helpful for you, please share this, rate us, review it. And um, you can always reach out to us and ask us any questions um, and I can get them to Greg. So thank you guys. Have a great day.